0: Hey, Gloucester. Welcome back. Yes, we made it through snow and wind and driving storm. My engineer, Jim Capillo, and I fought our way into the cable studio here at 1623 Studios, up at the Industrial Park, Blackburn, that is, just to be able to get to you wonderful people. My second solo show. It seems like every time I do a solo show that it snows. So the management of 1623 Studios, formerly K-Pen TV, has asked me not to do anymore because they are sick of the snow. Now, the landlord is doing construction work (laughs) overhead. So, if you hear rumblings, crashing, crumblings, and hammerings, that is in fact what you're hearing. Not the school committee reacting to my subject matter. That's right, because I, Gordon Baird, your host, Hello, have decided to take on the most controversial subject one can ever take in Gloucester. Yes, it's a subject that turns neutral people with no opinion into complete eye rolling Hemming and Hawists, people that just don't want to get involved. And of course, by that, I mean the subject is the Gloucester Charter School. Yes, it is 2018 now, but isn't it a miracle that it was nine years ago, nine years have passed that fast, that the Gloucester Community Arts Charter School was founded in Gloucester by a bunch of do-gooders, and it rose through pitched battles of opposition to get into its third year... (laughs) quite successful by the end of the second year, only to crash and burn. (laughs) And there's a lot of mystery surrounding the thing, and I thought I would shine a little light on it. I'm sure it will cause nothing but outrage, especially on social media. (laughs) So let me just take you back to a day when my wife said to me, You you need a project. You need a project with some kind of moral uh, objective, something that'll make you feel better and do some good in the world. She said, I think you should get involved in this charter school that they're starting up in Gloucester. Well, I had in fact been invited to join the board by a fellow named Peter Van Ness. And Peter Van Ness was one of the original founders, along with a woman named Amy Balin and some very, very devoted other people on the board, notably Dave Buchanan, a gentleman um, named James Caviston. Uh, There's a whole bunch more, and the names will all come out as I go. Uh, They asked me, I really wasn't sure I wanted to do it because, like a lot of people, I was kind of scared of, well, the school committee. The teachers union and the general, um, how shall I put it? These are left people leaning right. Because, yes, I said, of course I'd like to uh, join you and see. I've been a theater teacher. I love teaching. I have excellent radar for when kids are not, quote, getting it. So I thought, mm, I'll take a go. So I joined the board, and I wasn't particularly committed to charter schools per se. I understood how they work. They basically, when a kid gets out of the school system, they join the charter school. The charter school gets the money, okay, that would have gone to the kid. The problem for the regular school is, while they say we're losing our money, well, you also lost the kid that you had to teach. So you don't have that expense. But as you know, if you pull one or two kids from each class, you still got to fly the plane, meaning you have to fly the flight, meaning you have to hire the teacher. And if there's 22 kids instead of 24, you haven't saved any money. All those expenses are still there. So that was part of our problem, um, was the perception and in fact it was the reality that the money came from the schools. Well of course the school budget would go up based upon the number of kids in the system. So when they went from 3,000 to 3,100 kids in the system they wanted more money. But when they went backwards from 3,100 to 3,000 They didn't want to give up any of that money. They said, oh, no, we still have to increase our old budget. Some of that math is very understandable because, as I say, when you take two kids from a class, um, especially when you spread them all over the city, if you're taking two kids from each first grade from six different schools or five different schools, rather, um, it's really – it's hard to plan. It's hard to say, well, let's just have one uh, fewer kindergarten in one of the schools because it doesn't work like that. So their problem was was that was their biggest problem. That was our biggest problem. When we got going, uh, the several uh, rumors began to be floated um, that this was going to be a, a school for elite, Uh, sons and daughters from parents that were wealthy that had their kids in private schools that could now pull them out and put them in the charter school and they would save a ton of money and balance their education budget on the backs of the Gloucester schools. Well when we got the school up and going nothing could have been further from the truth. We had mostly the poorest kids in the city We couldn't even have a pizza sale at a dollar slice because people just didn't have the money. But they did have a group of children that really the one-size-fits-all moniker did not work with. And most of them were, how do I put it, there were a lot of ethnic kids. They were really, some of them had learning disabilities, some of them were dyslexic, things you're not allowed to talk about, but it's what they call uh, special education. And we had our own special education department that ate, like the regular school system, a huge percentage of the budget. But it was by no means elite kids, as I said. In fact, when we first started out in that first year, uh, the grades of the kids weren't particularly good. A lot of that you might say, and the defenders of the charter school said, the educators said, well, that's because they had done all the previous learning in the public school system. So after year two or three, you'd be getting to see the effect of the charter school teaching. And there's some truth to that, too. Uh, and in fact, the school tried to get off the mark. Now, when you do launch a school, you have to go through a ton of compliance issues, and uh, the school did that. They hired. They had a very. They had a very good board in the beginning. Very motivated people, and they all pitched in to do the compliance stuff. I mean, we're stu- we're talking five-inch thick binders of questions and policies and procedures that had to be. Uh, Basically, in, uh, typed out. They had to be policies on paper for every possible eventuality, um, from a kid hitting their thumb with a hammer to uh, too much snow in the middle of the day. Just everything had to be spelled out, and they basically were searching for a head. And I was on the board, so I watched the head committee. We actually had some pretty darn good candidates, but they were the best ones were the the younger grades. And the two best finalists we had, um, well two out of the three best finalists, had basically said, we don't want to do um, K through eight. We want to keep it uh, just K through 3 to get going. And then we'll add classes that we go as we go. Well, that wasn't our charter. We had gotten the charter approved based upon K through 8. And I think that 7 and 8 came in in year two. But first, we started K through six. So that was a big deal. A lot of teachers and not a lot of kids that first year. I think there were probably 70 kids, something like that. Um, And that's hard to run a school, but they know that in the first year. So they actually, uh, not only did they give us extra grants and show us how to get grants, but they actually defrayed Gloucester, got a huge amount of money $444,000. And let me just explain where they got that money. That was what they call race to the top money. And in 2009, Obama had set out this agenda for the race to the top program. But one of the qualifiers, and it was, you had to submit a million documents from state to state. It was actually a contest between states because there was only a certain amount of money. But one of the criteria for a state was you had to have a charter school that year. And, in fact, the Board of Education, State Board of Education, which we went to in Malden, in their billion-dollar office building, that was just unbelievable. It looked like something out of uh, Apple or some kind of futuristic thing. But we did go in there, and um, uh, basically... Uh, we had to jump through so many hoops. They personally talked to each one of us about what our intentions for the school was. Uh, and they warned us about a lot of different things that were going to happen. But we got through the process. And it was a political vote. Basically, most of the people on the board, and the head of it was the Secretary of Education's name was M- Mitchell Chester was a Chester Mitchell. It was Mitchell Chester. He was totally pro-charter. And they needed the charter because the State Board of Education realized, we want this race to the top money. $5 billion with a B the state got for that and at some point when we got through the thing they the state board of education they had four applications and three of them were really not ready they said if we had our druthers we'd make you wait till 2010 to start but right now um We're going ahead with you. Well, of course, uh, they had made some kind of backroom deal with this teachers union. You could tell because we got through. A couple of the uh, teachers union board members still wouldn't vote for us, and uh, especially the head of the union in Massachusetts. And we did not. But we won. We got through, I think, six to three, something like that. And basically, at the time, we never realized we were pawns in a game. And whether they made a deal with the other uh, three educators that were union people, once we get this thing up and running, don't worry, we'll kill it. Meaning, once we get the money, once we get the race to the top money. And I do remember um, uh, who was our attorney general then who ran for governor and lost to, ran for senator and lost to Scott Baker. Do you remember her name? Uh, but she's very famous. She basically did the backroom deal because she got in there, and she um, she was our was she our attorney general. Uh, that's what the governor's assistants. Go, what's first lieutenant, um, lieutenant governor? Sorry, um, and it wasn't Mara Healy back then. Uh, it was someone very famous who talked like this, and she was blonde. Whatever, I'll think of her name as we get going. But basically, after two years, after we got, they got the money. They got the $5 billion. Gloucester, because they had the shoot, got 444000 Plus, they got a full reimbursement on each of the little $11,000 per student that they had to forego because it wasn't going to be given to them because they were no longer educating them. So they got a windfall of money. Now, let's back up. We are now to the point where we're trying to get our application. We've gone through the process. They've interviewed us all. And we had to have one last meeting. And it was at Fuller School, I remember. And we were in that gigantic auditorium. 700 people were there in opposition. 10 in favor, mostly board members. And the... um, Folks, just absolutely, it was so oppressive. Most, A lot of teachers, they had students, everybody holding up art. Art will be eliminated from our schools if the charter goes through. Save our art, the kids were saying. And I remember each one of us got up and said our piece that was on the board, roundly booed. And I remember some of the people speaking were like absolutely tea-partiers. I mean, they were basically threatening the board members. And I remember this one woman got up who was a board member wife or something. She said, we're not afraid of you. We're not scared. We're going to move through. We're not going to be intimidated. And I was the next speaker, and I got up. I said, the hell with that. I said, we are terrified. We are intimidated. And you people are absolutely oppressive in your opposition. That you will not give us an inch, and the things you're saying are completely out of line with the truth. And for which I wasn't just booed. I was booed, hissed, and jeered <laughs> that's my name gordon jeered at ah. So I remember that being just absolutely symbolic of the opposition that we were going to face. We went back, I remember the final meeting in front of the State Board of Education, and there was our state rep and our um, our house member, um, and we're talking Bruce Tarr, and we're talking um, Ferrante and Margaret Ferrante, who's very friendly to me now, but I got to tell you, the things they said about us, about malfeasance and about a shady personalities and questionable morals on our part, uh, were really hurtful. And I remember all of us looking at each other. And I remember Jim Caveston, had just joined the board. It was his first time I'd ever met him. We're sitting in the third row together. And we're just looking at each other. He's looking at me. What are you, a bank robber? You know, the things they said about us personally. Um, but fortunately, the thing went through. It did get up and running. The first year was very, very hard. But the paper unrelentingly opposed. The paper unrelentingly would print anything the opposition said and put What the pro people said on the back page. And I was writing for the paper. I'm a big fan of the paper, or I was more before that. And the editor, you know, when I back up and I said, Who killed the charter school? And I will tell you right now, the two people that had the most to do with killing the charter school were the head of the charter school, Tony Blackman, and Ray Lamont, the editor of the paper. Now, Ray Lamont. He did admit to me that they had done a survey, and the subject in Gloucester that sold the most papers was the charter school. Well, no wonder they made it into such a soap opera of good guys and bad guys. And he was very quick to print the scandal at the charter school piece. But when the facts were shown to be not true, at one point, the lawyers of the charter school demanded a retraction or a suit. They did retract it on page 10. After running the front page headline. But basically, they chipped away at us over and over. And remember, that's future parents who are reading that. In fact, um, the demise of the charter school finally came through Ray Lamont. And uh, readers might remember, there were two articles, two days apart. And this was in year three. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Can I just say that in year two, the school really took off. The middle schoolers' grades all beat O'Malley. A fact never ever published in the MCAS scores, never published in the papers. Right? They only talked about the lower school scores that were pretty much equal or under. But the but the ones who'd been there for a year and who'd moved into middle school beat the thing, beat the school department average. Well, that was never. That was just the kind of thing they did. In a year or two, uh, the school department saw the MCAS course and said, you guys are really making progress. And we were gaining people. We were gaining students. And that is the key, is gaining the students. We didn't have two dimes to rub together. And at some point, it was uh, it hurt us because it was hard to attract, really keep the good teachers. We did have teachers, a lot of whom were really devoted to the whole education cause, and the one-size-fits-all didn't work. And in the meantime, may I say parenthetically, the attention the kids were getting and the kind of innovative ideas they had were pretty good. But, as I mentioned, we had two out of three, um, uh, how shall I put this, elementary school principal candidates, but the third was a high school candidate, Tony Blackman from Pingree School. And he was leaving Pingree. He was the interim headmaster in between a switch. It was done that way on purpose, like hiring a a minister. You only hire them for two years so that they really couldn't apply for the big job. So Tony knew he was leaving. Tony came in, and to be honest, it was like rolling a rock up a hill. The amount of compliance documents alone, but then just fighting the media, fighting the parents, dealing with recruiting kids. He he was amazing. And how he did it, they wouldn't even let us have a building. Every time we got close to a building, like Brown's Mall, they would sit down with them, uh, the school committee, would go to the Brown's Mall people, the Montaninos. All of a sudden, it was withdrawn. We had another deal over at Wendover. Suddenly, the permits were pulled. It was absolutely amazing. But, ironically, the building that now holds the school department management is the building we have, the old Cape Ann Medical Center that's up in Blackburn Industrial. And this guy had made a really nice, airy, light building. He built a lot. When I say light, I mean sunlight. He built a lot of the rooms to tailor for us. They had an art room. The ceilings were high. The, the light flowed in. It was absolutely amazing. He took a chance on us. He uh, Mick LaFada, and he was good to us. I mean, there were some there were some months where we couldn't pay the rent, and uh, he would let us wait a week because you know the check from the state wasn't showing up. You got it on the four specified days a year, and you know if you owed the money a week before, there's no way you were. You'd have to post date the check and say, "Can you wait?" But. Um, Tony Blackman was a hero, and uh, he, he put up with so much, but he was the worst communicator ever, and he always told you what you wanted to hear, and he would yes you to death, and then things wouldn't happen, and that eventually... Added to the feeling between the teachers and even the other board members that Tony was always, oh, yeah, everything was great. Everything's going to work. And, you know, you sort of see how he had to do that in the beginning. We couldn't even have a building, as I mentioned, until Mick came along. So we had Trailers. We had our thing just like the trailers over at uh, Beeman. And basically, that's how the school started. That first uh, half, that first year, we were in the trailers. And the kids were so good. They were playing in the parking lot as their playground. It was a pretty special time, though, because everybody was pulling forward. And we started to grow and grow. And as I said, in year two, uh, we got the number up to 120. But to be really viable and to really get every position we needed. Um, We needed more like 150, okay? Well, in year three, in year two, we graduated. um, uh, There were 13 eighth graders got graduations. And by then, some of the opposition had worn down enough. um, Oh, Chris Farmer was gone. Because Chris Farmer led the opposition. That's how the school got started. I didn't mention that when they first came, the two, Amy Balin and Peter Van Ness, they came to him saying, we'd like to do a Horace Mann school, a charter school controlled by the school department. And Farmer basically threw them out. He said, we're not even going to talk about any charter schools. And so they went to do a regular kind, the kind where you compete for the money and you don't run it. And Chris Farmer was the school system's worst enemy. I think Carolyn Kirk understood that because by year two in the charter school, he was gone. And uh, while he Definitely contributed to the school's defeat. Ultimately, with all the opposition he garnered, he also was a victim of it. So here we are in year, two, in year two, and we're doing pretty darn well. And the grades are coming in. Some very innovative things were happening. We had this artist program. I helped them set it up. We were having painters, and inventors, and guitar makers, and jewelry makers would come in once a week. The whole school would be in the gym, and we would have this wonderful art connection thing for about a half an hour as a morning assembly. It was fantastic, and the, and the artists like it. A bunch of the artists wouldn't do it, and it kind of symbolized what a lot. I would go up to people, hey, why don't you come up and see the school, just so you can see, you know, we're not really monsters. It's not really elite kids from prep schools. I invited every city councilor uh, to come up, only Joe Cellino and Safathia and... Paul um, from East Gloucester. Mc uh, my, my brain's going south. So, you know, he ran for mayor this week. Paul McGrain? No, Paul. Anyway, he came up. Only the three. The other ones, they wouldn't even talk to me. And the head of the school system said he would come, and then he would never take my call. So, obviously, people said got to him and said, don't you dare go up and look. I said, why don't you see what the enemy looks like <laughs> in the meantime. I There were some very innovative ideas, though. I, I, I did a thing for them. Uh, I helped out once with Wellspring on teaching people this graduate GED exam things and nobody that was doing the uh, the students had any times tables background and I realized how important the times tables were in kids mastering math and they just sit down and learn them so we did this thing because I do a video show as you know where I did times table quiz show and it was a quiz show and the parents came in with two video cameras set up one was on the audience one was on the kid and the thing was done with a stopwatch. They had one minute and then nine times seven. Five, four times six. It was all single digits. No, you know, 47 times 36. And then it was as fast as the kid could get the times tables one, they would get a point. So in their one minute, it was how many can you get? And some kids would get six in a minute. You know, not that great. Some would get 15. Really amazing. Where they wouldn't miss any. And I was this... Uh, you know, I was the one throwing out the tie. I had the list. And I would mix it up so the kids couldn't just learn the, uh, the other kids couldn't learn the order. So they'd have to know seven times nine. 63, you know, and that kind of thing. It was pretty cool. And they were on TV and the people would go wild. And the kid could see themselves on TV. What did it do? The next time we did it, the scores went up 30%. Where the people that would get six, next time they'd get 10. And the people that had 15 would get 18. So it was amazing because suddenly competition. And it was an innovation, and they loved it. And uh, and and we did it in more than one class because I remember all the other kids wanted to do it, and uh, it was just great. I remember bringing in the riser and then putting chairs all over there to make the studio audience, so that it made it special, and there was a real eventfulness with it. But anyway, that was the kind of thing we were doing. Now, year two, we do the graduation. Carolyn Kirk comes and reads is our graduation speaker. She was so impressed. She said, you've made it. And so did the school board say, you've made it. Um, So, what happened then in that summer between our second year and our third year? Here's where Ray Lamont comes in. He had been running a series of articles, not always with all the facts. And at one point, Tony Blackman called our lawyers to say, we want a retraction. Okay. And that was the one I talked to you about that went on page 10, but it got the paper so angry at us. They were already against us, but now it was a blood feud. And Ray Lamont ran this article, especially with these surveys that showed that controversial charter school articles sold the most papers. He ran two articles that I remember vividly as being the harpoon and the cannon that stabbed us and obliterated us two days apart. Maybe you readers remember it. One, a child was left out in the sun and basically at... There was this incident at Spindrift Camp, and they had had a charter school, uh, you know, a summer program you could sign up and get a really cheap membership and go to the day camp there. And that's this one kid had used the N-word on one of the kids at the camp, not even a charter school kid, and the guy from the charter school said, hey, you apologize, and don't ever use that word again. The kid refused to. So he goes, fine, we're playing our baseball game. You're going to sit on that rock for an hour while we play. Well, when the game was up and they all went in to eat, the kid refused to leave the rock And so he sat out there on the rock while they went in. Well, then, of course, the story became child endangerment. The school abandoned them and neglect. And that the kid was left out in the hot sun. Well, they didn't put the N-word part. They didn't put the fact that the kid refused to come back in. And at this point, that was a front page, top of the fold story. So that was the first thing. And so these parents who were part of... The uh, charter school and some of the Spindrift parents and some uh, a couple of teachers started this petition, and the petition said, we want to find out what happened. Were they really neglected and endangered, and what is our policy on this? Well, they passed this petition around, and about 16 parents signed it, okay? So um, then when it was the thing was submitted... It's five more pages were clipped to the back that had all these other demands about Tony Blackman and the way things were being done at the school. And But the people who signed the petition had never signed that. So Tony Blackman, he said, he called the paper and he called the lawyers and he said, this isn't the petition that I was handed and that the parents signed. And some of the parents said, we never signed that. We signed that front page thing that just said we want to look into what happened. And so um, he basically said that if... These people don't retract this. I'm going to, oh, and a couple of the parents said, oh, well, we wanted, a, we, we wanted the other five pages, too. He said, if you all don't tell the truth about that you only signed front page and the story, the truth of the story of the kid being endangered, that it was really the kid who used the N-word who said, I won't go back inside uh, after the guy said, come and join the group, well, that there was going to be a lawsuit. So that next day, the headline even bigger than the previous one said, Charter, school, principal threaten or vows to sue parents. That was it. 80 people dropped out. We had 181 signed up, but let's say there were 161 really firm. The next day, after two days go by, actually, it was over a weekend. It happened on Thursday, so two days, Friday, and now Monday. We were down lower than 80, lower than our previous year. And suddenly, how are we going to run the school on that? The school uh, department, uh, school, whatever you call it, state board of education said, hey, your numbers have tumbled. What happened? You basically are on uh, report or whatever it is. Well, then in the meantime, Tony Blackman was so pan- panicked about meeting our obligations because you can't, um, when the money is owed to the teachers, okay, you can't ask them to wait a week. It's by law. So he actually took this loan out, and this loan was was loaned to him by a member of the State Board of Education who should have known better and said, I'll give you this money, I'll loan this money to you for two months or however long it was long until the, the check came in from the school you know, the uh, state education department and to pay all the bills and so in the meantime, uh, uh, that woman who ran for governor, whose name is uh, – she suddenly uh, opened this huge spotlight investigation. their crookedness and malfeasance. And I didn't mention, by the way, we were sued by the Board of Education, the Gloucester School Committee, and these motivated parents. Four times they sued us because saying that there was malfeasance and we were stealing the money and we were all just uh, – four times they threw the case out. They actually tried it once and said, this is the summary judgment. You're out of here. The fourth time, they said, you come back again, and we're going to make you personally liable for the damages. And these are people who were on the school committee, too, like Val Gilman, who were part of the party to the suit. And some of these people, and they would make this stuff up where they would say the stuff that we had done and the crimes that we had committed. It was just like, you know, what was I, a nun raper? I mean, they were like really, really out of line in the things that they would say. And they would all come to every single meeting. There would be 10 of them there. And they would be taking notes. I remember they would write down everything. If we talked about the Wooderick water cooler, how ah, well, the water cooler. And each time it was like, ah. And there were two women that came. Uh, what were their names? Names. Um, one of them is head of the writer's Center now, and uh, but I just remember they were just they were just hideous, and they played so dirty. Well, flash to the end of the school, which was by this point. Um, when the number dropped uh, under 80, and they suddenly said the the, the AG is going to investigate you uh, over this loan, which they then found that was not the school's fault and that that other woman should have known better and that she was charging too high an interest rate for one month or however long it was, you know, it was like 2%, but times 12, that was 24%, and that was, uh, you know, usury or whatever. So at this point, they put us on like judicial watch, but we didn't have enough students and Tony Blackman basically um, had had a bunch of the teachers also were saying, hey, uh, we were never paid in that last thing. We were paid late. And so they sort of joined the uh, thing. We actually, as board members, had to front uh, $3,000 each because the school, the law in Massachusetts, the teachers had to be paid. And so did their, um, what do you call it, pensions and so we had to front the money personally to do that however when the check finally came in six months later to school they gave us back about 75 percent of the money so we lost money in the deal but you know that's how it went so I'm at the end of my time but may I just say it kind of changed my outlook on Gloucester I was kinda warm and fuzzy about Gloucester, oh Gloucester's so great, oh we're all in this boat together but you know, the more I participated and the more opposition I saw, but even worse, the people who had no opinion, who were on either side, they were so afraid. It was like Russians. They were so afraid that Putin was going to find out they didn't agree with his policies. It was absolutely the people in the middle that that were so eye-openingly uh As I say, they were so afraid. It was like, you know, conformity. If you didn't conform and, oh, I can't talk about that. And their eyes would glaze over and people would take a step back. Friends, people that you've known, it really jaded me uh, for a while about Gloucester. It's not the warm and fuzzy and liberal and happy place. Uh, It was pretty scary how dishonest people got when push came to shove. And that's money. That comes down to money, and they still haven't changed the, the charter school funding me- mechanism. I understand their problem is it's hard, to, it's hard to save money when you're just pulling one or two people out of each class spread around the city. Uh, and I get that, but they're, uh So they should have had a way where maybe half the money came from that, and half the money came for state grants, or they got assistance on how to save money when they lost kids. But Gloucester school populations were declining as the budgets were going up, even before we got there. And then once the thing got even less people in their system, they were saying we need all that money that went to the charter too, even though our numbers have gone down. So to this day, I have a bad taste in my mouth about certain Uh, city leaders. And they seem to have short memories. They're all my buddy Garden and all that. But um, uh, I, you know, it's hard to forget. And it's hard. uh, I have sort of forgiven because I understand uh, about money and how that works. But I, it was really like dealing with a communist party. You know, there was never any way around the lies. And this Curtain of lies, and they did so well at scaring the people who didn't have a dog in the fight, who had no kids, and, so, and they were like, oh, no, oh, I can't get involved, I don't know, I don't, putting their hands over their ears kind of attitude when you tried to talk about it. So anyway, um, today is the ninth uh, anniversary of... Um, well, in a couple of weeks, of the founding. So soon it'll be 10 years. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it is. And, um, you know, uh, the... O'Malley Innovation School uh, obviously it became an innovation school because of the charter school <laughs> because it, it was, it changed its name just as in our third year but we never got to open that third year and uh, it was kind of sad because the kids today, I run into them and they're older and I don't recognize a lot of them and they come up to me, they hug me, they yell at me they clap, smash me on the back and, oh, no! and all this stuff they all say it was the best two years they ever had they all went back to Uh, one-size-fits-all schools. Some of them ended up leaving Gloucester schools. Some of them have done okay. Uh, They all remember it. And, uh, you know, it was a fine time. I um, don't have good feelings for the two founders because Peter Van Ness pulled out over a stupid argument he had with the other co-founder about after year one so after getting us all involved in this thing they jumped ship and then Amy Balin pulled out in the second year and actually tried to then uh, testify against us as a school board thing because she hated Tony Blackman and because Tony wasn't uh, once she stopped being the president uh, he stopped listening to her and um, you know I did uh, make some friends uh, on the board but uh, mostly we were trying to push a rock uphill Uh, we were trying to do it for the right reasons Uh, however One size has to fit all. And, uh, you know. I'm sanguine about it. Uh, I'm bitter about it. Uh, I've learned a lot about things. Somebody said uh, Ray Lamont, since he was my editor as a columnist for years later, said, "Well, you think anybody will ever uh, uh, try to do another charter school?" I said, started laughing. I said, "You gotta keep me kidding me." Or he made a reference to the next time it they try, and I was going, "No one will ever, ever try again here." It was. It showed Gloucester showed its colors. They were colors that. It surprised me in uh, the shades of ugliness. However, uh, I still love you, Gloucester, uh, in spite of that. And I realized part of it was my fault for getting too real, for trying to do something, uh, you know, that I thought was a good thing. And uh, I think it was a good thing. um, But you realize in this world, people fight uh, to the death. And that's what happened. And the charter school died about... Uh, let's see, 2013. So, rest in peace, you Charter School. I want to thank my engineer, Tim Capillo. You are great for putting up with it. I hope I didn't make too many enemies. Uh, And if I did, eh, I don't care. So we'll see you next time on Gloucester. Fishtown Local! Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being you.